Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're talking here on Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. It is the day after two immense events in New York, uh, one related to public safety, but also politics and government, and the other one very much related to the state's politics and government. We are talking, of course, about yesterday's shooting in the subway in Brooklyn and about the resignation of Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin. To break down these two events and discuss a bit more about the city and state political atmosphere and fallout from these events and the upcoming elections, the recent state budget, and more, I'm very pleased to be joined again here on the show by Bob Hart, the New York political director for Spectrum News, including New York One, our favorite, of course, here in New York City. Bob, thanks very much for joining me. And thanks for having me again. So we'll dig into all of that and more, of course, just very quickly uh, for listeners. If you want to get caught up on some of our recent coverage at Gotham Gazette, find us at GothamGazette.com. A lot of coverage of city and state politics, as always, including uh, a lot happening related to the state budget, City budget season is upon us and a number of other things to watch for there here on Max Politics. If you've missed any recent episodes, we've been very much focused on budget season. I've had a variety of, it turns out, state senators on the show, uh, not not trying to leave out the assembly on purpose, but have just been joined by a string of state senators recently, including uh, John Liu of Queens, Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx, and most recently at the same time, Jabari Brisport and Julia Salazar of Brooklyn. And I was also joined recently by State Senate Minority Leader Rob Ord, an upstate Republican who leads the the Republican Conference in the State Senate to get the the minority conference point of view on state budget negotiations and more. So those have been a sampling of recent episodes here. And of course, we've also been talking with folks at the city level, like City Council Member Justin Brandon on the city budget process, and a whole bunch of other great guests and interesting topics, not just elected officials, but experts, advocates, uh, journalists, like we have Bob with us today, and some other great guests. So you can find all those at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts, or at the Gotham Gazette site where we have them all. Bob Hart, thank you very much for coming to lend some perspective and analysis here. Um, It's just, um, before we dig into them, so incredible to have two such seismic events on on the same day. Um, how do you how do you sort of? I mean, you're you're New York political director for Spectrum News. You have to, to sort of determine a lot of how to focus on these major stories. How did that go for you yesterday with these? Um, and they were sort of breaking at the same time. The subway shooting early in the morning. The New York Times story popping that the lieutenant governor was turning himself in, being brought up on federal. Um, public corruption charges. How did that go for you yesterday in terms of sort of focusing and prioritizing? Well, I, I've been in the news business for about 30 years. And I, so I've developed superstitions. And one of them is whenever a boss goes away, bad stuff happens. So we, we had a news director who was in rural China when the Elliot Spitzer story broke, but the prostitution uh, scandal his resignation and she was nowhere. She, we couldn't reach her. Uh, she oh, was, gosh. you know, and she warned us for me, I was in jury duty yesterday morning uh, in Queens. Oh my God. And I luckily unbeknownst to me, cause I had my phone off, got my second deferment uh, till November with my luck. It'll be like right before the election. I'm hoping it'll be afterwards. <laughs> so I, my phone was only off for an hour. I get out and I'm like, okay. 
I turned my phone on and it, it exploded, as you can imagine, seeing all these texts. You know, even though I, I told people, hey, I, I have jury duty, I'll probably be, you know, be uh, out of reach for the day. I was thanking my lucky stars that I had, I had gotten that second deferment. And I immediately, you know, as you know, if you have a good organization, everything runs smoothly without you. You're, you're the, the, the least important person. And that's sort of what happened. But our resources were really divided between the, what was going on uh, underground and then what was going on above ground with Brian Benjamin. Um, and luckily, we have a big newsroom and we we're able to, to mix and match. But the conversations, as, we, as you can imagine, on set throughout the day were about you know, both, both incidents, both news events. But honestly, the, the, the first thing that was, was taking priority was the shooting in the subways because it's just so horrific and out of a bad movie. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, and of course, you know, that's a, that's an immediate sort of public threat and public safety issue. And the aftermath being dissected, there's, there's much more time, you know, so to speak to, to really dig in on what happened with the Lieutenant governor and what comes next there. So, so let's start with the, uh, the shooting in the subway. Um, how, how do you put this in perspective for people? And that's, that's, as you noted, you're, you're roughly 30 years in the news business, exactly why, you know, I, I enjoy talking to you period, but also want to have this conversation with you about these two big events because they, they both, of course, um, you know, we've seen things like them both before. Um, how do you, how do you think about events like this in the subway? This is not, you know, we haven't been talking about things like this, when we've been talking about the increase in subway crime, the increase in, in violence in the city, both above ground and below ground, you know, we haven't been talking about these major incidents that are, you know, there's different definitions of terrorism, but, but like terrorism uh, or terrorism, um, events like this seem to happen, you know, every few years in some way, shape or form, it almost feels impossible to completely prevent them. But at the same time, there's so many discussions happening around how to enhance public safety and how to do it with the right balance. How, how do you sort of put this in, in perspective of the debates that are ongoing and also the sort of longer term trends of, of subway safety in the city? Well, I'm a student of history and New York City has a lot of bad history and that comforts me. It actually comforts me because because you always hear someone like saying, oh, it's never happened before. This is crazy. No, it has happened before. Uh, It doesn't mean that it's good, but it means that we've got through it before and we can get through it again. The pandemic, obviously, uh, you know, we we had the Spanish flu a little more than 100 years ago. It was horrific for the city. We got through it. The city had someone named the Mad Bomber, George Matetsky, who terrorized the New York, New York City primarily in the 1950s for five years, setting off bombs all across the city. He was a disgruntled Con Ed employee and he was caught. And it was very scary. And like the, the newspapers were involved in trying to figure out who he was. More recently, when I, when I was working, we had Edward Leary, the subway bomber in 1994, who set off, uh, uh, basically it was like napalm, his version of napalm on a train uh, in lower Manhattan and 40 people were injured uh, roughly. And that, that was really bad. Obviously, we've had other incidents, uh, Bernhard Getz, which is a little bit different, Subway Vigilante. Mm-hmm. So I use those things to sort of process, you know, things, you know, and try to try to comfort myself and realize, like, the, the world isn't going to hell in a handbasket. Maybe it's already already been there. And we've been able to come back. So it is interesting, though, Ben, if you look like we've had like crazy people. And as we're speaking, there's just a suspect. They haven't they haven't caught anyone yet. But there does seem to be a tradition in New York of out of towners 
get really riled up about something going on in New York City and decide to come to New York City and like shoot cops mm-hmm. or um, Colin Ferguson, the Long Island Railroad shooter. He was from New York. But it is interesting how New York is sometimes a magnet or more like a flame for crazy moths who come in. And I, that's sort of how I view this. This, to me, in some ways is less. I mean, this is hor- horrific crime. But it's not like, oh, that's a bad street corner and there's been four shootings there and the cops aren't doing anything. Like, don't get me wrong. This the kinds of things can't happen. But this has unfortunately been a part of New York City's history where people are coming and doing awful things. Uh, in terms of lieutenant governor, you and I, I mean, we both covered a million, not a million, but it seems like a million. So many of these guys, right? And they're almost all guys who got greedy or tried to, to get their campaign coffers bigger and then got caught. And that's sort of what it looks like, at least allegedly, uh, what Brian Benjamin's been charged with. Right. It's, it, I mean, it's it's almost this reaction. I mean, we'll come back to the subway in a minute, but, you know, it's it's almost this reaction of here we go again. Right. Uh, but but the, the the speed here, I mean, obviously, this is this is ongoing from when Brian Benjamin was a state senator and related to his city controller campaign. And then he was elevated to lieutenant governor. But the speed of his downfall is is, you know, nearly unmatched here in terms of becoming lieutenant governor and then resigning. Um, but but Governor Hochul knew at least some of what was going on around questions swirling around by Benjamin's campaign donations and the potential that there was a straw donor scheme. And and some there were also questions that are not even part of this indictment about how he spent campaign money on a wedding party, potentially. I, I remember during his city controller campaign, he was on New York One with Errol, and, Errol Lewis, and Errol was really pushing him on using campaign money for this wedding party. Was it really a wedding party? How is he justifying it? And he did not look good there. Uh, I interviewed him. I asked him about this straw donor issue, and he did not seem to have great answers about sort of how his campaign was doing compliance. There were red flags here. What do you make of of Governor Hochul's um, you know, decision here I, and, and the fallout for her? Yeah, I, I agree with you that there's she can't just say I mean, she will eventually say, hey, I was lied to. She, he lied to the FBI. She'll say something like that. But the bottom line, like you just pointed out, is there's if not red flags there are plenty of yellow flags that might make you say, hey, is there another politician from Harlem who I can make my lieutenant governor? I mean, and obviously the answer is yes. And I think she just thought, oh, this stuff will blow over. There's plenty of people who have you know, questionable donations. But that, that I really think it, it was a lack of, of judgment by her that, that, listen, I'll ignore these stories. This is just inside chatter. Well, guess what? A U.S. attorney went through and, and started digging deep. And I think, you know, you, to your other point about, oh, this happened so quickly. I think it happened quickly because this U.S. attorney's office didn't want to wait until after the election and until it happened. I think they wanted, mm-hmm. out of fairness, they probably accelerated this um, as quick as they could. You know, sometimes we've seen them take long times and we think an investigation's over and it's not. In this case, I, I think this, uh, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District decided this, we got we to gotta rip this bandit off now because it's not fair to the voters. Um, I, w- I want to come back to the how much of a liability this is for Governor Hochul now as she tries to win a first term as governor um, in this election, lieutenant governor, governor on separate primary ballot lines, and then the, the winners of the nominations for each party join as a ticket for the general election. Um, but I do want to note, you know, reading the indictment, um, there's some stuff that looks really bad in there. And then there's some stuff that, you know, we've seen cases in recent years with how the Supreme Court uh, ruled a, a number of years ago about, a, you know, sort of 
making it tougher for prosecutors to, uh, you know, to prove that a government action was taken on behalf of a donor. It has to really be, um, you know, very black and white. And we saw this seemingly help Mayor Bill de Blasio avoid uh, charges and others. I'm not sure reading that that this is necessarily a slam dunk case. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving a legal interpretation just as a layperson, as a journalist. I don't know what you make of that. Um, but there's some stuff in there that also looks really bad, like that the, the that Brian Benjamin seemed to be uh, very knowingly participating in the straw donor scheme. So, yeah, I think that's a, a fair take in, in terms of it's dangerous when you want to predict the outcomes of trials. I, I've been all over the map uh, on it. I mean, it's like I'm good at usually at predicting the Super Bowl. I'm not always good at <laughs> predicting that political corruption cases. Yeah. I think this is uh, one where the prosecutors can win. That, that's my gut. But to your really good point about Bill de Blasio, a defense attorney can, could, could have said if de Blasio had been charged, he'd been charged with no crimes whatsoever. We have to make that clear Yes. that, hey, Bill de Blasio didn't personally profit from anything. And they can say the same thing here, that Brian Benjamin didn't make a, a dime out of this alleged scheme. And so that is helpful to him. On the other hand, I, I have covered, uh, I remember former city councilman Sheldon Leffler went to prison. Uh, on on uh, similar circumstances for creating a straw donor uh, um, scheme, and the campaign finance board uh, nabbed him. And that's the other thing, by the way. If you're going to be a, a, an elected official who wants to 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 uh, game a system, don't try the campaign finance board. They have a, a whole bunch. Of, they have an army of auditors. Yes. So I'd recommend go somewhere else, like on the state level, maybe the federal <laughs> level. I don't know about the federal level. Probably not. But. Right. I, I I think you're right. Like we can't we, we shouldn't convict the guy. He's going to have his day in court. And we've seen we've seen plenty of people get acquitted. That being said, I, I think your note about personal involvement could could def, definitely possibly sway a jury because you're seeing him. It's not like his treasurer. It's him. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. He we've seen people get exonerated on on, on these uh, kinds of cases. And like you said, the Supreme Court. Right. And 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 there's multiple charges. It could be, you know, there could be all sorts of ways this goes. There's also, obviously, it seems like um, uh, the real estate developer who is in the mix here, who is doing the, the straw donors, you know, may or may not be cooperating. So there, there'll be a lot to come there. In terms of uh, Governor Hochul's political liability here, this looks terrible for her. As you said, it casts questions about um, her judgment in picking him. There's been rumors and a little bit of reporting that he wasn't necessarily her first choice, that she might have wanted Ruben Diaz Jr. to do it, but he he declined. Regardless, she wound up with Brian Benjamin. It does question uh, her judgment to at least some degree. And now this comes, as you said, it might have been sped up so that it didn't happen after the election, but it comes so close to the primary election that it's going to be very difficult to get him off the ballot, although my guess is they find a way. Um, but but how much political liability do you see here for Governor Hochul? Well, I, I could make the attack ad, which is, you know, you didn't know. You said you didn't know. OK. And then you were the lieutenant. For Andrew Cuomo, who two reports said was like a sexual harasser and, and steal, stealing taxpayer money or all but stealing taxpayer money by having people write a memoir for you. And you're out of the loop. So the ad would be something like, you know, Kathy's out of the loop. You know, you know do you want to have an out of the loop governor? So that, that's not a winning argument for her. The, the good news is I, I, I don't know how much like people are really focused on the lieutenant governor. They're more focused on like 
can they wear a mask or not on the subway and their kids wearing masks, what's going on with the economy and getting back to work. And people are really looking at the pocketbook issues. So I, I think it, it can, it's a political hit uh, on her, but it's not like a fatal one. I don't think she's mortally wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she has to point to stuff. I mean, don't be surprised if you see her like in the governor's office ordering drinks to go, right. going, you know, going to a Bills preseason game in August, that, right. that kind of stuff. Anything to, to get the talk away from Brian Benjamin. But she's going to have a debate where this will come up. Um, there'll be and I, I think this gives some ammunition to the Republicans in the fall as well, that, hey, you, you were looking the other way when Andrew Cuomo was harassing people and Brian Benjamin was stealing taxpayers money. I'm not saying I'm just saying I can just see the ads. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think you hit on a good point, which is it probably continues to be the case that Governor Hochul remains a, a, a strong favorite in the in the primary. But as far as I'm concerned, and we, we can talk about this down the line, but let me know your quick quick thoughts on it. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, there continues to be, a, I would say, a pretty significant chance that a Republican can win this gubernatorial race, even with the daunting voter registration imbalance, the fact that a Republican hasn't won statewide in 20 years. If, if it's going to happen, this might be the year and it might be that gubernatorial office. Yeah, it, it, it's funny, right? Because you've had like two governors resign in scandals, a prostitution scandal and uh, the sexual harassment scandal, you know, uh, you know, Eric Schneiderman, the attorney general resigned all these scandals over the last like 15 or 20 years. And it hasn't really put a dent on the party. I think two years of the pandemic, a governor who hasn't actually been elected uh, to be governor. Like, yeah, I would put a giant asterisk on this year. And I think you're right. Despite all the numbers like this could be a year where, you know, things bad things happen to the Democrats in, in New York state. I still think the Republicans have to do everything right. And they have done a lot of things wrong politically over the last 20 years. So I would still favor them. But I totally agree with you. It's like, you know, when you talk about bad weather in a football game, like it's snowing, anything can happen. I, it's, it's snowing right now politically. And that's sort of how I feel what, what could what could happen this fall is this is like, you know, suddenly Aaron Rodgers in a driving rainstorm isn't Aaron Rodgers. Maybe you get the same thing uh, with the Democrats in November. Bobby, making so many football analogies, I have to uh, get your take on this. Uh, part of part of what will be at play here in the election is the Buffalo Bills um, stadium deal as part of the state budget. Again, the way that Governor Hochul handled this seems to be providing ammunition for both her primary opponents, Tom Swazi, the the congressman representing Long Island, parts of Long Island, and parts of Queens, public advocate Jamani Williams, um, and then of course general election opponents. Although uh, sometimes you get people who sort of mostly acknowledge that they kind of are fine with the deal, but they don't like the process. Um, how do you how do you sort of foresee the the bill situation helping or hurting her? It obviously helps her with her base in Western New York. Yeah, and I first of all can you know have to be upfront, full confession. I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah. That being said, it's like this never would deal would never have happened downstate, like for the Yankees and the Mets. Like local lawmakers would have killed it, I think. And mm-hmm. it's good for her that that Buffalo's hundreds hundreds of miles away from New York City. Um, I think it if 
the primary her primary opponents were really really robust and and you know they're there but I you know I'm talking about like neck and neck in the polls this could be a real issue with Democratic downstate voters I think it plays very differently in the general election this is a huge win for her I think upstate as particularly in Western New York and I think that they balance that out and they can argue correctly that lots of other states and cities have subsidized stadiums before but not to this level uh, you know a side note but. I think actually it does politically benefit her. I, I know, you know, it's funny. I was wearing a Buffalo Bills sweatshirt the other day uh, when I was at a, a, a children's party for our kid, uh, for kids in the New York Aquarium. And a couple of people actually came up to me to talk to me about the stadium deal. Uh-huh. So it's, it's really not popular, I'd say, with a certain swath of voters downstate. But I think they knew that going into it. And I think they did. The, the, I think they made the right political calculations on it. End of the day, as you were sort of getting at earlier, I, I don't there, there aren't going to be too many anti-stadium deal one-issue voters, right? right? I mean, people who might not like it, they're still voting on things related to COVID policies, the economy, and so forth. Well, and also, it's liberal Democrats typically who say, this is a handout to a giant company. Are they going to say in October, I'm not voting uh, for right. Kathy Hochul, I'm voting for Lee Zeldin, or I'm staying home? So I that's I think that's the, the what they were they thought, and I think they're probably right. But if this was a really tight primary, this this would I'd say this would have been a huge mistake. Well, and worth noting, it seems to be part of the reason that the governor worked into the budget about three hundred fifty million dollars in flexible spending directly for Long Island. Right. Um, and so, uh, by the way, that's just like a carve out, right? Like we don't even know where that money, what that money is going to, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's a slush fund. Yes. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, there's, there's nicer ways to say it, but yeah. in essence, that's, that's what it is. And it's, it's to, uh, both help Long Island state senators who want to keep their seats, uh, democratic ones and, and help the governor there very clearly. And then also, though, you can obviously make the government case, hey, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars in Buffalo on a stadium that's for economic development. Here's hundreds of millions of dollars on Long Island. And obviously, there's lots of money being spent in New York City. And then away we go. Um, Bob Hart, let's come back to well, let let me quickly ask you, uh, the lieutenant governor, uh, Brian Benjamin, former now, um, they're going to seemingly try to get him off the ballot in some way, uh, get him to move into one of the states where his uh, bail agreement allows him to move, um, maybe get him nominated for a different position somehow. As I said, if I had to guess right now, I figured I I think they find some way to do that. Um, What's your sense of how Governor Hochul can or should handle a government replacement for him? She has to name a new lieutenant governor, we would think, not has to, but we, we think she will. Um, and then figure out this electoral landscape of of trying to come through the primary herself and then have a running mate for the general election that she's happy with and she can run with. Well, we, we've seen governors in the past, Kerry and Mario Cuomo, get lieutenant governors who they, they, they hadn't wanted. Uh, and it was like these uneasy marriages for both of their first terms. Um, I, there's two ways that Kathy Hochul could play this. The, the one that I think the way she'll play it, I think, will be it's a political plum. I'm going to give it uh, to uh, maybe a Latino elected official or someone else. The problem with this, uh, it, it has an expiration date. It goes away in January. Someone else is going to get elected because whoever she names will not, will not be on the ballot, most likely, uh, unless they come as a third party candidate. So it's a difficult needle to thread whoever she names. The other way she could do it is the way David, David Patterson did it when he was governor. And he was the first one to do it. He had to go to court to, get, to make, make sure he had the right to, to name his, his lieutenant governor because of the vacancy. 
is get like a Richard Ravitch type person, like a, a person who's been in government for decades, is well-respected, maybe in retirement and comes out. I was also thinking, um, what about Catherine Garcia, who's her top aide, former mayoral candidate? You slide her over, make her lieutenant. That would probably please a lot of editorial boards. Say, oh, I'm <laughs> trying to clean things up. And then if, if you win in January, you can slide her back to her old job. First of all, I don't know if Catherine Garcia is interested in it. Right. Um, but I, I do think she'll name someone. It makes sense to me. Um, and I think either path is a win for her if she pick, as long as she picks the right person with no scandals. Richard Ravitch was a real kind of feather in David Patterson's cap. He, he ran the MTA at one point. He helped bail out the city in the 70s uh, from uh, near bankruptcy. So I, I think she'll she'll do something. And it's actually a significant pick, uh, believe it or not, even though the job will only be for like eight months. Right. No, I, I think I think your first instinct there is is where I would assume she's right. going to head, which is but but again, you you asking someone to give up a current position for what could be a very short run. Exactly. Here. So I'm thinking I haven't looked at who the possible names are or started to talk to sources on this, but I'm thinking, you know, sort of an elder states person of the Latino Hispanic community in New York City is probably where she winds up if she can get anybody, you know, to agree to it. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see what they do about the ballot machinations and if there's some compromises that could be reached or, or she starts to work with Diana Reyna, who's running as a as a running mate with Tom Swazi in some way. You'd think Hoka wants to avoid Anna Maria Archilla, who's running with Jumani Williams, yeah. but we won't get into all those details. Now. <laughs> Let's just come back for a couple of minutes to the um, to the subway shooting. Mayor Eric Adams in one of the most unbelievable twists of fate is the the you know on the ground first responder mayor and he's he's stuck in quarantine at Gracie Mansion when a major major public safety event occurs in the city um how do you think you know what kind of challenge does this other than the fact that he's in quarantine for for a couple more days at least um but but besides that what kind of challenge does this pose to him and his agenda both on public safety getting people back on the subways, revitalizing the economy and so forth. It's all tied together. How are you seeing this right now? Someone pointed out to me on social media how life sometimes imitates art and that if you've seen the first taking of Pelham 123, not the second movie, which was horrible, but the first one, how the mayor is like sick with a cold, really bad cold in, in Gracie Mansion when the, the subway is taken over by terrorists. It's a, it's a terrific movie, uh, not a great book, but a great, great movie. Uh-huh. And it's got to be driving the, the, the real mayor crazy that he's stuck in Gracie Mansion as this insane story is unfolding and that the whole narrative of Eric Adams is that he can save us from the bad guys and he can't even leave his house. Um, I, I think he's done the best he he can. You know, he, he's been doing these virtual interviews and and virtual briefings to a degree. But it, it really has got to be extremely frustrating for him that since he's been in office for a little more than 100 days, there have been these incredible high-profile crimes that all, only the least charitable person in the world would put lay on his doorstep. Mm-hmm. But... Everything else is compromised if you're a mayor, if public safety uh, isn't there. You can have all the great education uh, visions, making the, the streets safer and, excuse me, straight streets cleaner, parks better. None of it can happen if New Yorkers are worried that they're going to get bludgeoned on the subway or in the streets. And that's where Eric Adams is right now, you know, day 100 plus. Right. 
And, and he, you know, if obviously he recognized that it's what he ran on. That's what he's, you know, talked about in a, a million interviews that, you know, he, he understands public safety is, is number one, as he calls it the prerequisite for prosperity uh, and everything else. Um, uh, I remember interviewing him during the campaign and, you know, his reflections on David Dinkins, tenure and, and really, you know, obviously that hitting home for him as it did for, for Bill de Blasio. Um, just lastly, Bob, in terms of what, the mayor and the, and the city do next um, there. This is part of the complicated decisions that the mayor, along with the governor and the MTA uh, are making about police presence, about the use of scanners, about uh, bag checks, about so many other things. There's a balance that has to be struck where you're um, obviously allowing people to get about their days. You're not targeting people who've done nothing wrong. And at the same time, you're providing a sense of security for people. What what happens next here in in terms of the decisions that the mayor has to make about uh, public safety, especially related to the subways? I mean, that's like the question, the overall question that's dogged America since its foundation, that this is a free society or mostly free society that you can't stop every single car going into a tunnel to check it for a bomb. You can't stop every single person getting on the subway to see if they have a gun. It just won't work. This is this is in China where you, you can suddenly just lock everyone down. I think um, you touched on it, Ben, that some of it is just having an intimidating presence. I remember after 9-11, suddenly you're seeing all these cops with like giant semi-automatics, you know, wandering around and it was a little scary or intimidating. But I think that's going to be one of the things we're going to see. This also unleashes Eric Adams to a, a little bit that some of his liberal critics in the council and others, I, I think this gives him uh, uh, more weight to say, listen, we need to do something uh, because we're get- there's already been a pushback saying, oh, this is like Giuliani in new clothes. But I think New Yorkers, I mean, you go to the poorest neighborhoods in the city and they're not saying we don't want police here. They're saying we want good policing here, not just mm-hmm. police, but good policing. So I think this will this will be we, you will see more police on the streets. Now, I don't know if it'll change anything, but I do think that you are going to see stuff like you saw after 9-11 on the streets. I saw it just biking up uh, here to Chelsea today, seeing cops on the standing on the bike path, like almost blocking my way. So there's clearly a, a message out with the NYPD. And I think, you know, some of the criticism you heard later in the de Blasio years is, oh, you know, we're, we're, we don't feel like we, we're, you know, we, we're, we're, he has our backs or, or you know, we're, we're, we really can go out and arrest people without someone second guessing us. I think that is going to change a little bit. Now, the pendulum, we've seen in law enforcement go both ways. So it'll be interesting to see how long it goes this way before there's a pushback. But I definitely think that, the, like you said, there's going to be more of a police presence. Mm. Bob Hart is the New York political director for Spectrum News, including New York One. Bob, uh, always great talking with you, even under uh, these tough circumstances, and uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks, Ben. Like I said, we've been through so much. We can hopefully get through this as a city as well. Indeed. Indeed. 